Hi everybody, I'm George and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least, and today's guest is Kirsten Storms. Hi, how's it going Kirsten? Hey George, I'm good, how are you? I'm doing really well. You're here to talk about one of my genuinely, not just favorite horror movies, but one of my favorite movies, period. This is one of the tattoos that I have. Absolutely one of my favorites, but it is a little bit of a controversial pick. A lot of people who are used to one kind of horror are not necessarily into what this movie represents in terms of like the shift in the aesthetic of horror and the way that it, it kind of changed things indelibly for I mean, the foreseeable future. And I think that that's something really interesting. So we'll definitely have a lot to talk about that. But before we get too far into this movie, I know that you're a huge horror fan. You've been into horror for longer than I have. And when we were in college, I know that you were, you and Craig were like the two, (laughs) (laughs) the two horror heads. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, Craig, who was featured on the Evil Dead 2 episode, we were all really good buddies in, in college. And you guys would definitely be the two that would be talking a lot of horror. So... How did you get into horror? Was it something that you had been into from like a long time ago or like how, how did it uh, come about? It has been a large part of my, I guess, film history since I was very young. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this even qualifies as a horror movie, but the first one I ever saw was at my neighbor's house because I wasn't allowed to watch them when I was growing <laughs> up. And it was Anaconda. <laughs> like definitely, J-Lo. Definitely like, yeah. a horror movie. <laughs> it was... Oh, we watched it recently. It was horrible. But at the time, it was so funny. And I really was terrified of snakes for a very long time after that. Sure, I get it. And then um, (laughs) my best friend from elementary school actually got me truly into horror movies. But that wasn't until fifth grade. Mm Mm-hmm. And the first one she showed me was actually Ghost Ship. I don't actually even know that one. Oh, it's so bad. Really? (laughs) Yeah, not great. But ever since then, she and I, all throughout middle school and elementary school, would go to her mom's house and watch horror movies and eat Flamin' Hot Cheetos. It was a great Friday night every single time. That's a great combo. (laughs) Do you have, like, a subgenre preference? I mean, you, you, the two that you already listed are very different from the one that's that we are talking about today. So it seems like you're you like it all. It is what it seems like. Is that accurate? Yes. I would say that I like every kind of horror movie whereas I would say a lot of people don't really like oh, okay. So a lot of people have differing tastes in horror movies. So right. some a, people a, a preference yes. at least. Yes. So a lot of people I know don't like slasher films. I don't mind slasher films. I do prefer paranormal. Mhm. The ghosty stuff, all of that is the stuff that actually really scares me usually. Right. Gore. I don't mind gore as long as it's not, like, excessive. Right. Although, I do still like the Saw movies. <laughs> like, so you really do. Yeah. You're just like, uh, whatever it is, I'm, I'll I'm watch here anything. for it. <laughs> yeah. The movie that we're talking about today is The Witch. And like I said, that this, kind of, this movie kind of is the herald of this new art house horror wave. And so... I think that this willingness to kind of accept all subgenres of horror definitely is something that leads you and I to both love this movie and be like, yeah, this is the best because it's so different from what had come previously. I mean, this is not to say that there was no slow horror movies before (laughs) The Witch, but it was a huge pendulum swing from like Saw and Hostel and paranormal activity found footage kind of stuff mm-hmm. to swing completely the other way and had this huge aesthetic driven slow methodical horror movie is something that not a lot of people were ready for or 
are even enjoyed at all. Like, the, this movie has a very low Rotten Tomatoes score. The audience score is pretty low. I think that it's like a 56 or something like that. What? Because people think it's too slow. They say it's not scary. They say that they just don't, they don't connect with it. And you add that to the fact that it is also, I mean, they speak in like old English basically. And so it can be a little hard to uh, penetrate that on, on a, another level. But, you know, this is a little bit of a controversial pick. And I think that your willingness to accept uh, all, all areas really is something that is a positive trait. And I mean, this is such a this is such a fun new wave of horror for me like i love all these movies i just saw gretel and hansel and that is the perfect movie so it's a pg-13 it's the perfect movie to like start getting people into this wave of horror it's really great and it reminded me a lot of this in addition to the witch though do you find yourself liking this sort of like slow burn kind of thing like it follows uh, it follows is another one of my favorites yeah i love the slow build i think it makes for an excellent ending usually like the build-up makes the suspense just everything about it i quite enjoy the sense of dread like i feel uncomfortable while i'm watching it yeah which is something that i don't usually think a lot of people would enjoy but i kind of (laughs) like that uncomfortability because it makes me focus on the movie and i'm i kind of as you pick up things that i feel like with a lot of flashier movies that you wouldn't like see Mm -hmm. i think it's almost masterful with the slower films because they pay so much attention to detail throughout the movie. Does that make sense? Definitely. Okay. <laughs> I really like all of those kinds of movies. Like, the, sometimes the slower the build-up, the better the ending. Yeah, and a lot of your more classically structured horror movies are kind of like a roller coaster in that it's a lot of peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. But with this new subgenre of horror, it really is just like a slow incline the whole way up. Like, it doesn't let up. There's no breath of relief uh, uh, from the drop where you get like these moments to like be like okay things are okay again here's some laughs like there's no humor in this movie <laughs> like it is no hope <laughs> yeah it is bleak it's oppressive i mean everything about it just is suffocating this is robert eggers debut as a director and writer and it's Anya Taylor-Joy's first movie as well. She plays the lead role of Thomason. The two of them bring this insane vision and confidence to this movie that, like, I am baffled that it's both of their first movie. Like, it's they're so impressive in it. Um, I agree. She does an incredible performance. I mean, I would say that she kind of carries the movie as good as the other uh, performances are as well. Mm-hmm. And they are being assisted by some veteran actors, though. We have uh, Ralph Innocent as William, the father of, and patriarch of the family. And we have Kate Dickey as Catherine, who's the mom. And the cast is basically, like, just those three. And then three of these incredible child actors who, I mean, they haven't really done anything since. The, the two actual children have done nothing since this movie. Caleb, who is Harvey Scrimshaw has done like one or two things but they were very minor ellie granger plays mercy and lucas dawson plays jonas we watched this together and a couple times you were like god these are these kids are just the worst they're terrible (laughs) and like it's so funny because child actors are usually annoying but by accident Uh like they're usually annoying because you're like wow these kids are awful and they suck and they're (laughs) ruining this movie and mercy and jonas are awful and annoying because that's what the script calls for like they're supposed to just be these heinous brats intentional it was uh yeah they're really great and they're really believable in this world and like for these 
they're children. They're mm-hmm. like they're so small. I don't even know how old they're supposed to be. Maybe like four, five, something like that. And for them, not only to be believable as actors, but to also be believable in a period piece where they're basically speaking another language is even more impressive. That's true. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) (laughs) I almost wonder if they like just learned it phonetically or if they actually even knew what they were saying. That's a great point. Oh, they were, they were something else. (laughs) Incredible actually though. I didn't even think their performances were pretty fantastic considering they were that young. And they are speaking in old English because Robert Eggers is just an absolute madman. (laughs) Like he puts a ton of research into his work. He did this and he did the lighthouse recently. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's a, it's great. And they both have such a focus on period accuracy, but not at the expense of the movie. They both feel like it's natural for them to have these things incorporated into it. And that period accuracy extends, it's visible all over the movie. I mean, even just the title, uh, some people call this movie The Vavitch because <laughs> it is technically on the poster, it is spelled with two V's. Because the W was not in popular usage at the time that this movie took place. (laughs) So, the Vavitch Vavitch. is the technical name. (laughs) That's amazing. Even beyond that, the cinematography and the lighting, they used almost entirely period accurate and natural lighting. So you have that. I mean, the cinematographer, uh, Jaron Blaschke, I think is how you say their name. Maybe Blaschke. I guess is as good uh, as mine. Yeah, um, he does an amazing job. The look of this movie is so bleak. It's oppressive. It's, I mean, it's incredible at creating this atmosphere that really captures the tone of the movie. But it's pretty beautiful. I mean, it, the sh- the shot selection really showcases, I think, the stark beauty of like the, the like woodlands mm-hmm. of uh, Canada. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, they had to film in Canada for budgetary reasons, uh, but it does take place in New England. And it's really, it's beautiful, even though it is like the dead of winter sort of, and like th- all the trees are bare, but it still is like a still haunting beauty. And they only, uh, they only shot this movie in 25 days. Really? Yeah, so, in and out. Wow. (laughs) I also really like this quote from the cinematographer. The film was shot in the now rare uh, 1 to 66 to 1 aspect ratio. And when someone asked him about it, he said, well, it's more timeless. It's a shape that goes back further into our history. I mean, you don't see a lot. That's 1 to 85 to 1 before, you know, the 1950s. That's a shape you just didn't really see in the arts until very recently. That timeless quality was very attractive. Also, it was just going by my gut. It felt right. It also had the benefits of being able to make the house a little more claustrophobic and also show show more height of the trees looming over the characters. And you could still have the whole family in the shot and have it work out. And so the fact that just this natural instinct of these people working on this movie worked so well to also create this atmosphere of just dread and claustrophobia is remarkable. I mean, I think that that kind of talent behind the camera is what helps to elevate the talent in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. It does a really great job. I also, we, so this came up in our watch of the movie. Goats freak us both oh, out. Oh, they're so, oh, I don't know what it is. Um, I was going to ask you, what do you think, is there actually any tie to, like, besides them usually being a bad omen? Mm-hmm. Like, is there any history behind that that you know of? Like, yeah, well, so there is a history of, like, the devil appearing as, like, okay. a, a he-goat. And, I mean, 
to me, I think that part of that is just because goats are unnerving. <laughs> like The eyes, I'm not sure what it is. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. To me, it's the pupils. I don't know if anyone out there has ever looked, like, just look up a picture of a goat's pupils. They're rectangular. <laughs> I don't like it. It's so upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> I was glad that you said that, too, because when I said it, I was like, I feel like that's not a normal thing for people to be afraid of, but no. goats are so creepy. Goats really freak me out, too. And it's uh, to me, it's like the same thing as when I'm watching a movie like The Thing, where it's like, it's so just not quite right. Yes. It's, not, it's close enough where you're like, oh, it should be this shape, and instead it's a rectangle. So, so your brain doesn't want to register it. Yeah, so in conclusion, goats <laughs> bad. <laughs> Quite bad. Not um, a fan. Uh, but goats, they have a large role in, in this movie. So kind of ironic that this movie that we both love is something that it, we both hate. Yes. But also, <laughs> I, I think that, that the fact that it is something that we dislike is probably part of what helps to make it such a good horror movie because we're on edge just from this fucking goat being just there. Just from the goat being present. <laughs> yeah, the and then it's so representational of this great horror movie that I'm like, I'm just putting all that baggage onto goats now. (laughs) (laughs) Like all of my fear at this movie is just like, I just place it onto goats and I'm like, yep, no, I hate them. (laughs) No goats here on out. (laughs) One thing that I also thought was really interesting in terms of the way that this movie was shot is that all the scenes involving the supernatural, like uh, Caleb's encounter with the witch are shot at just a little bit of a higher frame rate. They're shot at 27 frames per second instead of 24, just to give it like kind of a weird otherness that I think does come across. You have the low strings keeping you on edge and everything just feels like kind of off and it's very tense and it's great. As far as the actual story of this movie, uh, The Witch is set in 1630, 62 years before the infamous Salem Witch Trials. Thanks to a religious conflict where he accuses the community of being false Christians, William and his family, including Catherine, Thomason, Caleb, Jonas, and Mercy, and newborn Samuel, sulk off into the wilderness. And sulk they do. They're, like, real bummed out about this. I love that they establish the legitimacy of the threat right away, because you get this expulsion, and then the very next scene is Thomason playing peekaboo with Samuel. And when she looks down, Samuel is gone. It's really incredibly shot with the, like, it has a shot reverse shot here. And you only know Samuel is gone at first from the slow realization that crosses her face. Then it cuts back and you see the empty blanket. It's really intense. And then they don't pussyfoot around what happened either. They're like, boom, here's a real ass witch. She's yeah. grinding up a, the baby into a paste. So disturbing. I was legitimately covering my mouth. Just, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> she makes this baby paste, rubs it all over Horrible. her body, and then puts it on the broom too. And you're just like, this is so early in the movie. <laughs> just right out of the gates, they hit you with that. Uh, they give you no time to settle it. Uh, <laughs> the, the string section in this part is really, really great. It's really unnerving. It makes the cut back to the family that much more effective with the stillness of the morning. And the family starts to disintegrate from this almost immediately. They're scared of what happened and what's out there. They think that a wolf took Samuel. And Caleb and his father set out to hunt because the corn is rotting. 
and he's saying his prayers and he's distressed about Samuel being in hell from sin because he wasn't old enough to have baptism or anything. And so he himself has been having sinful thoughts about his sister, Thomason. So you can kind of extrapolate that his fear for Samuel is really also fear for himself going to hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does say that he is nervous about himself, but it's the conversation is focused on Samuel. William's pride which the judge of the settlement kind of throws at his feet, he accuses him of being extremely prideful, is on full display here when he's talking to Caleb and he says, we will conquer this wilderness. We will not let it consume us. That's aggressive to be like, I'm going to just walk into these woods and and I'm going to make it mine. And he pays the price for it because he most certainly does not conquer the wilderness. Mm-mm. One other major reoccurring theme is the ineffectualness of William. He really can't comfort Caleb here. He does a bad job of it. Uh, He tries to hunt a rabbit and misses with the recoil hitting his eye. He can't grow crops. He can't protect his family. And, like, you just feel his desperation grow the entire movie. I think he does a really great job of providing a lot of the anxiety of this movie. Is A lot of it is just emanating off of him and his inability to provide you can feel his stress through the whole movie it is tough yeah also one thing that happens a lot in this movie is we kind of get these like weird omens or just like bizarre happenings one happens here where thomason sees like a half-formed bloody chick break out of an egg it's really gross that was, I forgot uh-huh. that it happens. And yeah, your reaction I was, like, was pretty oh. genuine. You're just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's nasty. The men come back with no food or anything. And Kate is mad that the men went to hunt. And she yells at Thomason. And this is not the last time that we see Thomason take the heat for something that isn't her fault. Meanwhile, William is just chopping wood all the live long day. The whole movie, really? <laughs> he really does. I mean... <laughs> It's definitely representative of his sort of... Wants to feel productive. Yeah, he's like, oh, I can't do anything except this. And we see this lumber pile just grow and grow and grow. So much wood. We see the lumber pile start to grow into, like, this huge tower, which does fall on him at the end. That's how he meets his untimely demise. Uh. So he's just chopping, and Thomason and Caleb are just, like, they're off by the river commiserating about how much this place sucks. Yep. (laughs) They're like, why did we come here? This is awful. Uh, I hate it. And Thomason jokingly says that she's the witch when Mercy comes out. And Mercy is being a little shit. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Thomason definitely gets a little carried away, but Mercy sucks. Yes. <laughs> like, you totally get it. And who among us hasn't tried to scare a kid? Especially um, siblings, man. Yeah. It's, it's part and parcel of it. You totally understand where she's coming from. But she gets a little carried away, and Mercy is freaked out, thinks that Thomason is the witch, because she says as much. Mm-hmm. There's a, a tense dinner scene where Kate accuses Thomason of losing the silver cup that she has. And despite both Caleb and William knowing that he traded the cup for some traps, they both say nothing. And so in the, in the night, Kate and William discuss the option of sending... Thomason away to another family as like like a serving girl and that way they don't have to worry about taking care of her and she'll just be off doing her own thing they say that she's a she's a woman now she can go the problem is that Thomason and Caleb both hear this <laughs> like the parents are like oh are you guys sleeping and there's no answer and so they're just like good enough <laughs> 
discuss uh, this very difficult thing within earshot of them. It's fine. Loudly. <laughs> loudly, not even <laughs> trying to be quiet. They're yelling. They're like... <laughs> Actually <laughs> screaming at them. Thomason, I can't wait to send you off. <laughs> uh. Thomason and Caleb, they hear this, and in an effort to go um, find some food so that she doesn't have to get sent away, they venture into the woods. But they get separated, and Thomason falls from her horse, and Caleb stumbles upon the witch. Oh boy. Oh jeez. Uh, this scene is spooky. It's spooky stuff. You were, you literally were like, I hate this scene. I hate <laughs> like, this. It's the dog. I can't. Ugh. Yes. We hear it off screen, but you hear a yelp from Fowler the dog. And then we see the disemboweled corpse of him. Very upsetting. It is very upsetting. And the witch is in the guise of a hot lady. <laughs> and <laughs> there's this spooky chanting and violins. And she comes out. And she, like, beckons to Caleb. And Caleb's like, this seems like a good idea. Seems legit, yes. <laughs> and it's funny because Caleb is at, let's say, an age when he might not consider all the ramifications of what this is happening. <laughs> and it's so scary because you're like, all right, I know something's going to happen. This hot lady kisses him. And then this old, decrepit lady hand reaches up from behind him and just smack like grabs the back of his head and uh. it's 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 spooky stuff does that get you or am i like, no it got me for sure mostly because his facial expressions too as he's walking up he's like this is probably not a smart move yeah, but he's like he's like sort of hypnotized it oh seems. for sure like, yes yeah. the family is freaking out and the truth about the cup comes out. And Caleb finally reappears outside the farm, naked and confused in the rain, and he collapses. Jonas and Mercy accuse Thomason of being a witch. They're like, she's the reason that he's sick like this, and he collapses. Another bad omen happens while he's collapsed with the goat milking, uh, like oh, the yeah. goat milk is blood. Caleb awakens in a delirious state, and he coughs up a bloody apple. <laughs> and he collapses again, which is... God, it's just so spooky, this coughing up of the apple where, like, he talks, there's nothing in his mouth, then his jaw locks up, and they had to, like, pry it open that with a knife. And, like, it was like a rotting apple, too. I don't know what... It, you saw that. That was... Were yeah. ma- it wasn't maggots. It maggot. was some kind of rot or something. Something on the apple. It was very creepy. Um, the whole family's watching this happen. That was tough. Yeah, and, it, like, they're all just standing there, and it's like, at that point, what do you even do? There's not much can do, kind of just yeah. watching it happen. <laughs> yeah. And helpless. in her distress, Catherine starts to believe Jonas and Mercy that Thomason is the witch. So they're like, all right, gather, gather around, team. <laughs> gather around. Everybody, circle up. We're going to get we're gonna get a prayer circle going here. Prayer circle. <laughs> Hands in for Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was. <laughs> Except for Jonas and Mercy. They're just hanging out. Exactly. Jonas and Mercy, they're the like, worst. oh, we can't remember our prayers. And Lying children. Yeah. Uh, Lying and they, they, like, they like fall down and they're like real, they're over the top with it. Their brother is legitimately like not <laughs> yeah. having a good time. Yeah. And they're just, oh, what? <laughs> and, and they're all freaking out. But then Caleb reawakens. And he gives this insane monologue about fighting off the devil and going to meet God and, oh, your kisses from your lips, oh Christ. You embrace something along those lines. Yeah, and he is just in the, the death throes of joyous agony. 
Yes. And he he dies with a smile on his face there after popping off. Yeah. <laughs> that threw me for a loop. Yeah, and his family is like, what the hell is happening right now? <laughs> Kate freaks out at Thomason, perhaps reasonably. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that at this point, if if this was happening to us and we were like, okay, what the fuck is happening to our friend Craig here who is collapsed? <laughs> Craig is the one that's... Yes, <laughs> Craig... <laughs> Craig is Caleb. Craig is Caleb. And Mason and Jerry are over there like, it was Dave. <laughs> Everyone would be like, all right. would be like, all right, Dave. Dave's a witch. <laughs> Dave's a witch. <laughs> so you kind of understand why she freaks out at Thomason. That's fair. Thomason flees to Sam's grave. And William goes to, it seems like he's there to comfort her. But then he starts to also accuse her. Of being a witch. And you're like, oh, he's being sneaky. He's trying to get it out of her. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And she's sick of being the scapegoat. Pun intended. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And she angrily defends herself. And she says that it was Mercy and Jonas who made a demonic pact with Black Phillip. And uh, (laughs) they're just so desperate for something to blame. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just like, we need something to, to accuse here. William locks his three surviving children in the barn with the goats. He's like, I'm, I don't even want to deal with this. You're just all going <laughs> to sit in there until dawn and then we'll go. We'll go from there. Yeah, we'll go from there. And he just, he chops more wood. I, the wood, <laughs> I swear. Yeah, he's chopping, he's chopping. And eventually he confesses his sin of pride to God. And he's falls to his knees and he eats dirt in humility. And it's a really great performance. I thought that was pretty phenomenal, actually. Yeah, he like... He was really great. Covered in like snot and like blubbering. Yeah. It's it's great. It's a great performance. Believable. Just broken down. Oh, yeah. In the barn, he goes to bed after this. In the barn, the kids see the witch from the beginning (laughs) drinking the blood from the goat who was uh, like shooting blood instead of milk. And she turns around and cackles at Mercy and Jonas. She just like laughs at them. It's like such a tight close up on her face. And she's just like, ha 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 ha. Like, so perfectly, like, what you would expect a witch to be like. It was, I thought it was fan. I thought it was great. Yeah, just waiting for her to be like, look at my black hat and here's my cat. (laughs) (laughs) It's like such a perfect witch's cackle and you get it for such a short time. It was perfect Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. (laughs) Yes. They freak out. Meanwhile, Catherine is inside hallucinating Caleb sitting in a chair holding Samuel. The actual first sign that she's hallucinating is the silver cup in the background, which she glances as she lights the candle. And I mean, I've seen this movie probably, this was probably like the eighth time I've seen this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I noticed the cup in the background. Same. I literally looked at you and I was like, what? <laughs> the cup! <laughs> I had never seen it before. It really was a shock to me, but it's there. And it's the first sign that she's hallucinating. She approaches Caleb. She takes Sam to breastfeed him. And we see the awful reality, which is, uh, it's a crow pecking at her, her chest. And it's, like, really hard to watch. It's so awful. I, that was scarring for me the first time I saw that. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, her skin is, like, really it getting, like... It was really like, bad. <laughs> it's gross. It's really gross. Tough. In the morning, the goats have been slaughtered, and Mercy and Jonas have vanished. Just they're, gone. They're just they're gone. They're just gone. not really explained either, is it? No. They're, they're, <laughs> they're I mean, just I, gone. I assume the that the witch got them. <laughs> Thomason wakes up just in time to see Black Phillip charge at William, impaling him. William grabs a hatchet, but then drops, which allows Black Phillip to charge at him again. 
knocking him into the wood pile into that the wood he pile. worked so hard on. So much time. Hoisted by his own petard, truly. <laughs> truly. Yes. <laughs> oh. But yeah, it's, it is funny to see, like, he's working on this wood the whole damn movie, and then... I didn't even, it's so funny until this time watching it, I didn't realize how often he was chopping wood. He really is. It's like the three whole... separate scenes really of him is. chopping wood. They really want you to be like, all right, I got it. Yep, the wood. The wood is there. And the wood crushes him, and Catherine comes out, and she sees this, and she sees the goats, and she sees that Jonas and Mercy are gone, and she just flips her wig. She starts trying to choke Thomason in revenge for the death of her family, and Thomason is just like, I love you, I love you. Like, she's, like, trying to stop, get her to stop. But eventually, she has to grab the corn knife and defend herself, and she slashes her mom in the face. And it's, like, really gross. It's a pretty <laughs> deep cut. That was not nice, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, the, the sound editing there is really crazy, too. We yeah. both commented on it where we were like, oh, man, like, that's a nasty noise that, that it was makes. was not pleasant at all. And the blood is, like, pouring into Thomason's mouth and, that, like, ooh. on her face. And it's just really gross. And she winds up killing her. She has to hit her a bunch of times, and it's it's really just awful it's definitely an emotional scene she's very upset throughout as you know to be expected <laughs> sure sure she's really a hell of a, a wake-up call for uh, mm. for thomas in here and after this hectic moment the silence of her getting up and walking into the house is deafening like it's i noticed that as well when she's just in the living room sitting i was like there's no music or anything right yeah. now that's definitely intentional this is really intense yeah it really is and she encounters black philip and she demands to speak to him and there's a moment of silence and you're like oh it was actually nothing yep <laughs> and then it turns out that he can speak and we hear the voice of philip who is daniel malik have you seen this guy no he's gorgeous <laughs> i'm gonna pull up a picture yeah, please you're gonna see him here is daniel malik oh my goodness yeah he's a handsome guy wow so this is black philip and it's funny because like you don't really get to see him he's just covered in shadows the whole time but like he just has this aura about him where you're just like oh he's slick like, i was getting some captain jack sparrow vibes yeah. i'm not gonna lie yeah he has like these boots with like spurs on yes. it and, like clinks around as he he turns from the goat into the human form it, it really it adds another layer when you just like see him in the background there he he asks her what she wants from him and she's like what can you offer mm-hmm. he promised her the taste of butter a pretty dress seeing the world uh and living deliciously yes and i mean butter kicks ass mm-hmm. nice clothes yeah pretty sweet mm-hmm. seeing the world who doesn't want to travel that's true living deliciously sounds pretty great sold. to me yeah and she's sold as well <laughs> <laughs> so he tells her to undress and sign the book which she does although she can't write he says he'll guide her hand he leads her into the woods where she finds a coven of witches all dancing nude around the fire and they all start to float in the air and then after a little bit thomason joins them in the air and she is just laughing hysterically at the ecstasy of the moment and the freedom that she now has her entire family is dead she's all by herself but for the first time she's free Mm -hmm. although this movie's plot was intended to be taken literally Robert Eggers has spoken about a few hints about things that are maybe indicate that things might not be as they're supposed to be. The rot is called ergot, 
and occasionally, if you eat ergot rotted corn, uh, you will hallucinate and be paranoid. And so there's sort of an aura of, well, was the witch even the one doing these things? Like, certainly she impacted Caleb, but, like, in terms of the just general paranoia of the family, it's like, well, we see them eating this bread that's made from the corn that's rotted. Could there be more than one factor at play here? Which I just think is it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have a little bit of both, I think. I did not know. That's cool. The movie also has an affixed subtitle of A New England Folktale. To me, this is one of the most interesting parts about this movie because it's a story about a religious family's fall from grace, and one of the cardinal sins can be ascribed to each family member, which really makes it feel like a folktale. Like, each one of them represents a different sin and and this sort of morality tale that unfolds around them, how they're each punished for their sin, I think, makes it seem like a folktale. William's uh, stone-carved face matches his rigid pride. Caleb is casting lustful glances at his sister. He becomes seduced by both the idea of being an adult who can help with the hunting and the titular witch. Mercy is ironic as hell because she is definitely the embodiment of wrath. Um, She falsely accuses her sister of being a witch as revenge for a fright uh, and is generally spiteful and cruel like only children can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And her twin brother Jonah calls to mind the biblical Jonah, who was eaten by a whale for uh, shirking the task that God set before him. And uh, so does this Jonah avoid his work. They He doesn't contribute to the farm or try and stop his sister from uh, this disproportionate revenge. And Kate, her envy of the daughter's youth and beauty causes her to turn on her. Like She accuses her of beguiling Caleb. She's certain that uh, William will be next. And finally... You have Tonneson, who represents both greed and gluttony. She admires wealth like the family's prized silver cup. The mother says, oh, we've seen you just like looking at it before. She's unhappy with the Puritan lifestyle throughout the film. She has a fancier hat than them. She is just upset about being in this awful place. She, She talks fondly about their life in England and ultimately signs her soul over to the devil for living deliciously so like most folk tales you know it's a it's a morality tale with a message i saw that idea somewhere and i like kind of i built upon it myself and i was like oh like here's what i think each of them represents no it's cool but like i think that the fact that this is so reminiscent of a folk tale makes it seem like a story that would be passed down like this seems timeless in the way that they were so clearly attempting to capture i like it you know i like it Yeah, and, you know, when the family falls apart, we're kind of forced to confront this idea that holding an unreachable bar for purity can lead to your downfall. Mm -hmm. I think that that is the message that I get from this movie. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, And it's very easy to see why the strictness of Thomason's parents and their religion would chafe uh, leading someone to desire more. I mean, everyone butts heads with their parents and if your parents are puritans you're probably gonna butt heads even more Mm, yeah perhaps without william's unshakable faith in his religion being so superior to everyone else he and his family would be living happily in the settlement instead of various shades of dead and damned (laughs) various shades (laughs) on top of that you also can look at it in a less literal depiction thomason's seizing of her own future 
and why she would want that. Like this sort of feminist, I'm going to do what I want to do, not because my family wants this for me, not because my father wants me to do this. Like her family calls her names like whore and slut throughout the whole movie. They allow her to take the blame for crimes she didn't commit. They hurl false accusations at her. They're content to ship her off to be some other man's property in exchange for a dowry to help them get by instead of having their family member there. And rather than just accept this, Thomason makes her own choice. And she takes the power into her own hands. And it's like, it might be a decision that she will regret later, maybe. Who knows? She might be going to hell. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But... It's her own choice regardless at the end of the day. And so that sort of, I think that liberation to me is what living deliciously is all about. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? Do you, and also, what do you think about her choice? Like, do you, do you, A, think that this sort of like liberation is what he's, what Robert Eggers is going for? And B, just like, what do you think about this ending? I really actually liked the ending, but for A... First was the choice. Did she make the right one? I think that at the end of the day, to me, I don't think she had much of another choice, if that makes sense. Her whole family was gone. I'm not sure how she would have gotten back to the plantation. Mm -hmm. Um, Black Flip was there. She had been, I'm not sure oppressed would be the right word for it, but um, restricted. I don't know if it's the wrong word. (laughs) She'd been definitely restricted for her whole life. Didn't really ever make a decision for herself. Had no, you're right. had no freedom at all. This, I guess, opportunity presented itself to her. I think she believes she made the right choice at this point in time. She definitely seemed to be happy about it at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, I think that the liberation was definitely, yes, exactly that liberation (laughs) from her previous life. I think she stepped into a new reality for herself, which I thought yeah. was kind of cool. And I mean, Anya Taylor-Joy does an amazing job with this. Her and Samara Weaving are like the two modern era scream queens, sort of. Samara Weaving was in The Babysitter. She was in Ready or Not, which was really incredible. Oh, she's great. I yeah. liked that movie. Yeah, okay. it was a lot of fun. And the two of them, I feel like they're a big part of this revitalization of horror where Samara Weaving has got the lockdown on these fun over-the-top horror movies like Mayhem and Ready or Not. And Anya Taylor-Joy has the slower, like, I'm going to be a little bit more deliberate in my uh, acting here, but it's not better or worse. They, mm-hmm. they really, I think, have assumed the mantle of quote-unquote scream queen in a really awesome way. And they're, yeah. they're both incredible actors who are, if, if they're the future of horror, I think we have a lot to look forward to. They're both really fun to watch in different ways, yeah. I also really like that this movie doesn't hold your hand at all. Uh-uh. It's very easy to get lost in the language, I think. With it's Definitely subtitles helps if you're watching this for the first time. I was but... thinking that in the middle of it. I'm Yeah, William was tough to understand for yeah. one scene. I was like, mm, I don't really know what he's saying, actually. <laughs> yeah, he... On top of it being in basically another language, you also, uh, the actors are very gruff and, <laughs> like, speaking in this very gravelly tone. And so uh, it, it it's not the most accessible movie. But I think that the challenge means that there's so much more to dig into there. I think that it really is such an incredible movie because you have to put some effort into it. 
like you said, it makes you pay attention. You can't be like fiddling with your phone the whole time. I'm really awful about if I'm not enjoying a movie, I'll get my phone pretty quick. And with this movie, you can't because if you do, then you'll miss stuff immediately. Even just the dialogue. Mm -hmm. It's not with like a typical for, I guess, the jump scares you can like hear when you're about to like beat something on the screen, if that makes sense. Yeah. For this movie, like it's very quiet. So you, it's the music, the music cues that are typically there in a lot of horror movies aren't really there in this movie. So you have to be watching it because the slow music is typically under, there's almost always a layer to it. So you're not really like... If you're not paying attention, you will probably miss something. I yeah. li- but that's what I like about it is it keeps your attention, in my opinion, at least. Definitely. And the fact that, that the musical cues are there the whole time makes you feel uneasy the whole the time. The whole time. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about all the different aspects of this movie that are like really good and really great, but we've reached the point now where we sum up why this is the best horror movie ever made. Like, as we were just talking about the music for this, I really thought it was so well done the score the cinematography itself was beautifully executed they i think it's just dreary and you have that sense of dread the entire movie yeah and for a lot of people so i guess that might be tough to watch but for me i really the music and the visuals and oh so good (laughs) yeah best horror movie ever made is no small title and to me despite the successes in other areas that this movie has like the great performances and everything i don't think that i could call this the best horror movie ever made if it wasn't also terrifying Uh like it is extremely scary and it's it's not just lazy jump scares like you see in so many horror movies this is you never just get surprised by something showing up with a loud noise. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, you don't get the musical cues of like, oh, get ready, something's going to jump out. They just give it to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fear in the witch is just, it's just there all the time. It's a weight on you mm-hmm. that just pushes down and makes you feel uncomfortable. And you watch this family just crumble. They are awful and and like the you see a witch grinding up a baby into an uh, ungent <laughs> like like this is presented unflinchingly like you watch it like <laughs> they don't even prepare you for it at all they're like this is here now no, this is happening no there's there's no comedy in this this it's just unrelenting That's and it's a good word and it just makes this is what makes it the best horror movie ever made to me because it does not give you a chance to breathe it is it feels so short. It's not the longest movie. It's like 90-something minutes. Mm-hmm. But it feels so short because it just never steps off the gas. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are no breaks in this. The closest movie it would be is Speed. Because <laughs> it's 55. <laughs> it just goes. <laughs> and that is why this is the best horror movie ever made. Kirsten, thank you so much for humoring me and coming on to talk about this movie with me. Kirsten did me a huge favor because this is genuinely, like I said, one of my favorite movies ever. And so I literally was like, please talk about this movie with me. (laughs) It's fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you want to plug anything, any social media stuff, if you want people to follow you on Twitter. If not, you can just be like, hey, here's a thing that I like that you want people to check out. I don't have any plugs, I don't think. I mean, I don't know if you'll ever have Jackie on the show, but I could say whoever wants to check out Drunk Grandmas, is she makes boozy cupcakes, and they're phenomenal. <laughs> they are. They're delicious. And, and 
they yeah. have alcohol. <laughs> and they're so good. Um, she has, she's got an Instagram. I, I believe it's just at Drunk Grandmas, but I'm sure if you search that, you'll be able to you'll find, find it. it. Yeah, and it's great. I think that's a great plug. For my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at Gerd Hef. You can find the show on Twitter at Little Horror PHL. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Um, go ahead. And, oh, we we have merch now. That's new. <laughs> That's awesome. That's exciting. I yeah. did not know. Um, there's merch at gheffler.redbubble.com. Uh, we have stuff with the logo on it, but we also have some really fun art of Benjamin Franklin as a zombie. So that is so cool. Go ahead and check that out. And if you're enjoying the show, feel free to buy some merch. I would certainly not dissuade you from that. <laughs> but also, if you're enjoying it, please rate and review. And if you're listening to this but not subscribed, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you for this having me. This was a blast. Me. And bye, everybody.